My name is Justin Westmoreland. I'm the campus minister here for RUF at OU. And you have heard about someone who gave, someone who lived the gospel, someone who, who very helpfully led another person to know Jesus better. And, th- and, and he gave his life uh, to roll back that death. And so this whole semester we're looking at how Jesus, in his death, rolled death back and started to bring life to us. And you even see that in the words that he spoke on the cross. And we're looking at the, the words that Jesus spoke on the cross chronologically. Uh, and so we, as, this is the fifth week of school, and so we're at the fifth word that Jesus said. In the six hours he was on the cross, he said seven, or seven things were the fifth one today. So follow along with me in your Bible. And hear these amazing words. There it is. We are on John chapter 19, 28 through 29. That was last week's notes I was had in front of me, so I was very confused. John 19, 28. Just being honest. Okay, after this, Jesus, knowing that all was now finished, said, To fulfill the scripture, I thirst. A jar full of sour wine stood there, so they put a sponge full of the sour wine on a hyssop branch and held it to his mouth. Grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God stands forever. May he add his blessing to it and write these truths upon our hearts tonight. Pray in Christ's name. Amen. Okay, so our problem, guys, is we live in a world of death. Okay? One way death rules is that people who say they love us don't live it out consistently. Uh, People will say one thing and do another. They'll say, hey, I'll help you, but then I might have homework or something might come up and then they they abandon you uh, when you need them most. And so they say they will love you at one side of their mouth and they stab you in the back. Um, People... Those people aren't just out there, but they're right here amongst us, right in this place. Uh, we are those kind of people. If we're honest, all of us could be called hypocrites uh, by those who know us best, those whom we are supposed to be showing love toward, um, because we are all radically self-obsessed. And we have a hard time giving of ourselves when we have so many needs. And so we mess up as Christians if we're trying to follow Christ. And we have been messed over by so many people who are supposed to care about us. And where are we to look for hope with that uh, in this world? Well, we're to look right here in the words we just heard. Uh, On your sheet, the first word there, uh, the, the word that Jesus says is, I thirst. I thirst. It's the fifth thing uh, that he says. And I think that's everything. It's everything that he said those words after already the after he'd already said all he earlier said. And if you don't know the story, what he said earlier was uh, when those who gambled for his garment said, uh, they're gambling for Jesus' garment, said, Take, they've stripped him naked and they've shamed Jesus. Jesus said to the Father in heaven, he said, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. He prayed for forgiveness for them. And then he looked over at, some, at a man who was looking for mercy and he said, Today you will be with me in paradise. He promised this man salvation and this man was a criminal. Uh, a man who was crucified justifiably next to Jesus. And, he, and the guy crawled out for mercy, and Jesus heard him. 
Jesus' poor mother was standing there watching this, and Jesus said to her, John, my beloved disciple, this is now your mother, and you, this is your son. He's going to take care of you. You're a widow. He's going to care for you. So in the midst of being crucified, he says, take care of my mother. He provides for his mother. And then last week, we saw that he cries out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He goes to the deepest, darkest place of abandonment and sin that anyone could ever go to. He goes straight to hell upon the cross. He goes to to die a, a death that we could never die, the second death, uh, so that he could bring salvation for the many, for many sinners like us. And so he's done all these things, and now he's going to cry out for, for thirst. He's crying out. He's, t- he's think- finally thinking about his own needs after saving the world. Okay, He has absolutely forgiven, shown mercy, brought salvation, and he's suffered the ultimate. Now he's going to cry out, for his own needs, for thirst. So we can see that while people might abandon me, that the love of God is so infinite that he's willingly going to bear burning thirst for us. He'd rather bear that than lose our salvation. He wants us that bad. He, he, he loves us so much that he would, he would endure anything for us. You know, we tend to throw around platitudes like God is love, uh, God loves us, and those things can make us feel warm and safe in the, in the dark, cold nights. But, but what basis do we have to believe that? What, what like hard evidence do we, do we have to really believe that God loves us? And it's right here. So let's think about um, love. Now, when I was going through, like I was studying for this Bible study, I, I pulled out an old commentary and I found something remarkable. Okay, I found two ticket stubs to the movie 50 First Dates. Isn't that amazing? It's an old Adam Sandler movie, right? Drew Barrymore. Um, I, I, I don't usually watch chick flicks, but when I do, I prefer Adam Sandler. Okay, but so my wife and I went to see this for 50 cents each, 50 cent tickets, matinee at the Dollar Movie back in, um, and we went to Arkansas. It was crazy, so a long time ago. Um, a more recent chick flick, incidentally, is a, a movie called Crazy Stupid Love. Have you seen this movie? Anyone, not, anyone seen it? Raise your hand if you've seen it. Admit to it. Own up to it. You, if you're a guy, you're probably watching it with a girl. Um, or you just are, have a man crush on Ryan Gosling, maybe. Um, I don't know. But uh, one of the best movies uh, you can maybe see would be, would be this movie. Why? Because um, Ryan Gosling um, plays a character named Jacob, who is a classic Playboy bachelor, right? He is this, this, the man. He goes up to the bar every night, seduces women, and he goes home with them. And you're like, this is a great thing to learn about in the Bible study, right? Um, total player. Womanizer. Okay. He's completely self-absorbed. He thinks he's the man. And so on one occasion, he goes home with a girl named Hannah, played by Emma Stone, and instead of sleeping with each other, they stay up all night talking. Story after story they share. It's unlike any encounter he's ever had with a woman. She respects him. She wants to get to know him. She's not just there to use him and be used by him. And, And as the story unfolds, he falls in love with her And it's sort of like the spell is broken for him. He is no longer the self-absorbed man that he was before. He's no longer living the womanizing lifestyle that he was before. He stops going to the bar every night looking for the next girl. He doesn't have that same swagger he had before. He's just just a down-to-earth guy. He becomes more of a human being rather than the player. And so he starts living for something other than himself. And that's exactly 
how we know people love us. They start to care about us and give of themselves. Um, that's the way Jesus relates to you. Okay, It's unlike any other relationship you could ever have. Because um, somebody cares so much about you that they're not into um, using you and there's no, there, that, that, that sort of relationship is worth infinity. And it will change you the more you know it. So let's talk about just first, uh, how do we know people love us? Um, what ought to characterize the lives of those who love us? Just a few examples here. What ought to characterize a church? You know, church ought to be a place that would love us. Um, you know, it ought to be accepting, helpful, welcoming. Uh, these are all fellow travelers on the journey if you're a Christian. Uh, but instead, we, we might find it, have, or have found it to be a hard place to fit into. Uh, maybe a judgy place. Maybe a strange place. Maybe more, actually more interested in what we can do for that church than what they could do for us. How many of y'all ever feel, felt that way by a church? Like they're really interested in sort of getting something out of you uh, than, than what they can do for you or serving you. Um, that, that's Probably we've all kind of felt that way. Um, what about your coaches, if you're an athlete? Um, have you ever felt like, you know, what, like what Saban and Stoops and your junior high, you know, football coach um, or anything, you ever felt like those guys loved you? Um, you know, it's hard, to, it's hard to think. about. I mean, of course, Babers, and, you know, of course he believes Saban loves him because um, he's from Alabama. But do we really feel like that? Um, I, I would say the coach usually, I mean, the coaches are capable of love, but coaches want to keep their job. Um, this is the primary thing. Coaches have, have an interest in, in keeping jobs, being about their agenda, and I can hear, hear heartache after heartache of broken athletes who are abandoned uh, by coaches. Then um, there are exceptions, of course. There are great men who coach and, and women who coach, but they're exceptional. Those are exceptions. They're exceptional. What about friends? How many friends have you defriended in real life or been defriended by? You, we, we've been betrayed by someone, uh, and there's lots of valid reasons for that. Uh, but, and, and some of us are thinking, well, we should have defriended that person sooner than we actually did because um, friends can betray us. Uh, what about dates? Um, you know, when we're dating, we're always on a job interview, and so you, you kind of like will present yourself in a way, and, and then you realize, well, that person wasn't who they thought they were, who I thought they were. Um, you know, uh, they just wanted to make out with you, or, or you know, to feel like they're somebody, and, and they've used you, or you've used other people, and, they, and we feel extreme guilt over that. Uh, what about brothers and sisters, family? I mean, like brothers and sisters is like the worst people in the can be the worst people in the world because, I mean, you're tired of looking at their faces all the time. And they're tired of seeing your face all the time. And, and, and they know how to exactly just push your buttons, and you know how to do that to them. And it can be devastating. Uh, they know who to really, how to really turn the knife to make you bleed. And you, you do that as well if you have a brother and sister. And so you can do that to each other, but you're still family. So you have to like go, go eat meals together and things like that. But you can hurt people in that close proximity. What about parents? Of course, we all have been broken in some way by our parents. Many of us feel betrayed by our parents, uh, whether it be divorce, abandonment, uh, abuse. Um, and and we've, we, there's something about our relationship with our parents that it's, it's not the way it ought to be. There's something broken about it. Uh, no matter how perfect your home is, there's something not right. But there, there is a loving Heavenly Father who is present when the earthly parent is absent or unloving. And so I want to know, how can we really believe that? How can we turn away from these broken relationships and find the ideal that those relationships ought to mirror? How are we going to find Jesus? And so we've got to see that, that Jesus 
does show us that God truly does love us perfectly, though we are sinners. And so I want to bring it back to 50 First Dates, okay? The very first thing I started speaking about. Have y'all, who's seen that movie? Probably, oh, wow, tons of you have seen this movie. Okay, so Drew Barrymore, of course, those of you who've seen it, you know, she's Lucy, and she has some sort of strange form of amnesia where it causes her to forget everything she's learned the day before when she goes to sleep. And so um, she meets a guy played by Adam Sandler, and they hit it off, they have a great first date, and the next day she can't remember who he is. And he has to keep on wooing her over every single day. It's funny at first, and then it's heartbreaking because she doesn't remember who she is in response to his love. The movie's tagline is, Imagine having to win over the girl of your dreams every friggin' day. Imagine that, would you? Okay? Sandler is like Jesus. You'll never hear that ever again. Sandler's like Jesus. Barrymore is like us. Jesus never tires, never gives up, never takes a day off of going out on our first date with us. He would always seek to woo us. You are worth it to Him. He gives of Himself to make you know His love. He's the maker of heaven and earth. And if you don't believe it, look at His lips in this text. They are parched. No one could write a story like that. You've got the beloved Son of the Father who has everything, who has left everything, and has become abandoned and thirsty. He couldn't get a drink for himself. The one who made all the waters, all the oceans, all of the glorious creation that we love to enjoy, the mountains where we're going to go skiing, he cannot get water for himself. And this is all prophesied. If you notice in that text, it said, this is to fulfill the prophecy. And so in Psalm 69, 21, David foreshadowed this when he said, They gave me poison for food, and for my thirst they gave me sour wine to drink. Jesus was that one who they gave him sour wine to drink. Um, He was absorbed in loving the Father's people, his bride. Now, he actually turned down a drink earlier in the story. Uh, When he was first crucified, he said, No, I will not take that, because he needed to be aware. He needed to be uh, certain of what he was doing. And he turned it down. And now that it is completed, now that he's gone to the very depths of abandonment for our sake to win us over on the cross, he he has won over his bride. He's finished the the job. And he says, I thirst. I will finally take a drink now. So they they bring him the drink, the sour wine, to fill his thirst. So what, what do we do with this? What do we do with this? Uh, our third and final point is how can our love put death to death? How can we stop to, uh, to, to stop being selfish and go forward with it? I just lost my microphone, didn't I? Yeah. What, what happened to it? No one knows. Okay. No. Okay. So I pulled it? Okay. Oh, no. Thank you. Oh, it's, it's on. Good. Perfect. Okay, we're back. Okay, so, all right, how can we do this? How can we treasure Jesus more? How can we be like him? How can we pray for our enemies' forgiveness? How can we promise salvation for a penitent, crucified criminal? How can we provide for our mothers in that way? How can we go to hell itself for the sake of someone to love them? Well, the first thing is if we don't start where Jesus was, if we don't start with that story, we've got no hope of getting better. It's all about our heart. It's all about our heart realizing that God's thirst 
for you is greater than his thirst for himself. He really cares more about you. He thirsts for your salvation and your life more than his own life and his own salvation. He cares for your thirst more than his own. That is exactly what this text tells us. We've seen the first four things, him doing all this to win us, and now he's thirsting. He's, He's taking care of his thirst. So you need to meditate upon our thirst. I need to meditate upon our thirst. The first thing tonight is that we're, is, is you got to do that tonight. Um, I thirst. you got to talk about that all week. You've got to meditate on that. And you've got to think about the fact that Jesus said, I thirst all of your life. And that sacrificial love has power. And so um, I want to think about, just a, uh, in closing here, uh, what, y'all know David Brooks from the New York Times? Um, he's, a, he's a well-known guy who writes in the New York Times. He was writing about A-Rod, uh, Alex Rodriguez. Do you know who this is? Anyone? Uh, baseball. No one watches baseball anymore. It's over. Okay. Rick's pastime. Some of us do. Alex Rodriguez, a very famous baseball player. He used to play for the Rangers. Now he's a Yankee. Uh, and you may not have heard about him in a while because he's been suspended for abusing um, the performance-enhancing drug policy in Major League Baseball. Uh, David Brooks says, my theory about Alex Rodriguez is, he was, is that self-preoccupied people have trouble seeing that their natural abilities come from outside themselves and can only be developed when directed towards something else outside themselves. Enclosed in self, they come to believe that their talents come from self, are the self. They have no outside criteria that tells them what their talents are for or when they are sufficient. This is exactly what made Jesus great. He had a bigger purpose, a bigger thing that he fit into. He was about the Father's will for the sake of his people. He says, David Brooks goes on here. He says, locked in a cycle of insecurity and attempted self-validation, their talents are never enough, and they end up devouring what they have been given. Alex Rodriguez, as Joe Torre, his manager, said, um, was a really good hitter. And all he had to do was concern himself with getting the job done, but it wasn't enough. Uh, and there's a certain free fall that you go through when you commit yourself um, in that sort of way um, and won't allow yourself to be vulnerable. He wouldn't allow himself to be embarrassed or to lose. And so he took these drugs and and he was busted and it destroyed him. It destroyed his legacy. Um, All the kids, think of all the kids that kind of looked up to him and they're like, oh man, he's a cheater. Um, So what would happen to the campus if we started to think about this I thirst idea of of we got to get other people taken care of before we take care of our own thirst uh, and not be so self-obsessed um, uh, as we all are, and as Alex Rodriguez is a perfect example. But let me tell you one final story, um, which I think would, would really um, take this to another level um, for us. Is uh, Back in uh, World War II, um, there was a guy named Don Ratzliff who, who retold a story uh, about um, a story in the uh, Miracle of the River Kwai. Uh, there were Scottish soldiers forced by their Japanese captors to labor on a jungle railroad. Um, and it had you know, sort of become really bad, and one of the officers in charge in the Japanese army um, was enraged that a shovel was missing. And he says, look, if y'all don't return the shovel, I'm going to kill somebody. I'm going to start killing y'all one by one. And so another guy, one of the guys steps forward and says, I stole the shovel and I lost it. And they beat him mercilessly. They beat this man up, and he died. Um, when they uh, arrived, the, they went marching again, and they arrived at the next place, and they did a count of their inventory, and they realized 
They actually had all the shovels. Um, they, had, they had every shovel that they had. There was no shovel missing. And everyone, the Scottish troops who were captives and the Japanese um, soldiers who had them captive uh, were changed. They realized somebody had given their own life for the sake of others so no one else had to die. And, and when uh, the war was over and the troops came in, um, they, they, were, they were just like, hey, we, we do not want to fight. Um, we're done. We want, we want to change. We want forgiveness. Please forgive us. And there was no more um, fight in these people. No more hatred. No more killing. What they wanted was forgiveness. And they tried to make it up to, to those guys who they had imprisoned and made them equals. And so, guys, sacrificial love has transforming power. Uh, and I hope you, as you look at the I thirst of Jesus, that his love was for us before himself, that he is so wrapped up in that that you'll believe that, that that's for you. And let me tell you this, that the Bible actually ends with us getting our thirst met. In the very last pages of the Bible, in Revelation 22, the very end of the Bible, it says that all those who desire, all those who thirst, will come to the rivers of life and drink. We'll come to where Jesus is face to face. We'll see him and he will satisfy us. All the longings that we've tried to meet selfishly all our whole lives, all will be forgiven, all will be wiped free, will be cleansed, we will be righteous, and we'll be with our Lord. And he will actually satisfy us with the rivers of life because he became thirsty, his lips became parched, he became abandoned. We can live forever and be satisfied. It is a beautiful turnabout, a beautiful reversal because God does love us and there is love available in this world. So we'll end it with that. If there are questions, we'll take them. Let me pray for us before we get there. Let's pray.